Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Good morning and happy Sabbath from the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm so glad that we have technology and that Joe, who had surgery, uh, when was that? Thursday or, uh, yeah, he is watching from the hospital bed. Wow, Joe, we're excited to have you being with us, even from where you are. And if you're watching from anywhere, I know my cousin sometimes watches. I know my uh, my uh, my brother sometimes my mother does, and I know you have some relatives that from um, are from out of state, out of the country. What a blessing it is to have this technology. But you know. Like um, um, Paviel said, today marks one full year since we met in pre-COVID, pre-pandemic times. Last year on March 7th, the first Sabbath of March, we met for the last time in our fashion as the friendly church with hugs and with many many people. And we had a full service. Do you remember what we had that Sabbath? It was the international weekend then. We're going to have an international Sabbath coming up on March 20th. But uh, one year passed since. The question in pandemic times is how do you measure a year? 525,600 minutes. I know there is a song like that. <laughs> How do you measure a year? How many people were affected by COVID-19 in deaths? In income loss? How many days of work or class you missed? How do you measure a year in a pandemic? Maybe you can measure it in how the Lord has been with you in spite of what's going on, right? In spite of the illness, virus, and so forth. How do you measure a year? Maybe we as a church in the record of guests and visitors we've had. Man, we had a record number of visitors this year. And that's great. How do you measure up your year? Maybe it is your new understanding of God maybe is letting go of God or maybe coming closer to God maybe is discovering the Holy Spirit as as um, Melvin mentioned in his prayer and how the feeling of the Spirit changed your life you know if there was anything well I'll let you decide that how do you measure this here? <laughs> because we can all come to different answers to that question. But I want to go on with my sermon. And if there was anything to do for Christians, it has always been the continual acceptance of Christ into our hearts and letting Him live His life through us. That is the essence 
If I had to put this sermon series in one sentence, that would be it. I preached this sermon from the beginning of the year. To be free and fruitful. It means to experience complete freedom and yet be spiritually fruitful. To live a life that is continuously rooted in Jesus, in His life, in His teachings. The living branch, I preached on that two weeks ago, to, uh, the living branch is free. It does not have to worry about anything. No one can influence or impact her unless it is uprooted from the vine. And that branch does not have to worry about fruit either. It is the vine who gives the power to produce the fruit. All it needs is to do, all it needs to do is to, to, to stay rooted, to stay grafted in the vine. Today, we conclude this series of studies of abiding in Jesus, free and fruitful, and we will be learning three final lessons. Will our constant, continual filling with God's Spirit make any difference in our preparation for Jesus' second coming? Will it have any application in our Sabbath keeping? Will this make any impact in our church and community ministry? These are the three questions that we're attempting to find answers in the next 30 minutes. So let's bow our heads for one more prayer. Gracious Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts to you this morning. You've been with us through one year of pandemic, unprecedented times, and yet you have shown yourself graceful. And Lord, today, as we conclude this series, Lord, I pray that you will inspire us, my words. I pray that they will find fertile soil in the hearts of these people that are listening today or watching on YouTube. And I pray, Lord, that we will live with hope today. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. You may wonder how I came up with those three questions. Well, I took a quick look at our name, our Christian identity. And arbitrarily, I came up with the questions because for the first time ever, I saw it, how what we've been studying applies to even our name and ministry as Seventh-day Adventists. Many denominations or faith traditions have their own credos or have their system of beliefs. As Seventh-day Adventists, we uplift, we uplift the Bible and the Bible only, and our name reflects our identity in the Christian community. We are Adventists, meaning we are believing and expecting our Lord and Savior Jesus to come back the second time 
like he promised in John 14. He's got many mansions he prepared for us. He's coming back, he says, that where I am, there you'll be also. That's John 14. And we're looking forward to his return to, to take us to our heavenly home, to take us there where he is so that we could be with him forever. That's what Adventist means, waiting and looking forward for Jesus to come. And it means even more than that to us. It means that we're getting ready for that event, and it means that we let other people know. We want to tell everyone that Jesus is coming back. It's a great news. We're going to end this. This earth's history is going to come to an end. There is an end in sight that gives us hope. And we believe that in the second advent, Adventists. Now, how being rooted in Christ will help us to be ready for Jesus when he comes back on the clouds of glory. We learn two things in this series of sermons. When we abide in Jesus, we're free of worry to live on earth. When we have Christ in us, we don't fear, we don't worry how we're going to make it. And I'm not talking necessarily about, about it physically. I'm talking about our spiritual life. How are we going to be free from worry of sin or sinning? When we ask the Holy Spirit to live in us, we, we learned that we produce the fruit of the Spirit. So we're not only free, but we're also fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul calls it in Galatians 5.20, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you really look at these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, it's only one fruit, the Holy Spirit has one fruit, and has these nine qualities, if you really take a good look at these qualities of the Spirit, they are really, they depict a wonderful, perfect frame, frame of mind. They form and they shape the mind of the Christian who is asking for the Holy Spirit to live in them. And when the Holy Spirit lives in the Christian... The Holy Spirit first lives in our minds. We talked about this in October, if I remember correctly. He will recreate the way we think regardless of what is going on around us. And when the Holy Spirit transforms our minds, now it is not us who live. It is Jesus who lives his life through us. Because our mind is not our mind any longer, but it is through the Holy Spirit. Now it is the mind of Christ. It is not us to live, but Christ living in and through us. Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul says in the same epistle to the Galatians, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Wow. Why and how will this make any difference in my preparation, in your preparation, to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? 
Let's look at what happens if we don't have Jesus living in us when he comes. There is a story, in fact, this is a parable that Jesus told his disciples to illustrate what can happen when he returns for people that are ready for his return and for people who are not ready for his return. This parable is found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 11. And I will be using the New King James Version of the Bible. And I know this is a, probably the third time that you hear about this, but any time I look at the Bible now, it has a new meaning, a new, <laughs> a new definition, a new light. This parable is found in Matthew 25, verses 11. So here is the context of this parable. Jesus is about to end his mission on earth. He's already told his disciples that he's going to go to the cross and then he's going to live for heaven. He's going to go to heaven for good. He's going, but he's going to come back in glory and majesty. He tells them that as the king of kings and lord of lords. And he will take them with him to be with him in heaven for eternity. And that's hopeful. That's great. And as normal, as you and I would do, they come to Jesus in Matthew 24, 3. They come to Jesus and say and ask, Lord, tell us, when will this be? And Jesus did not tell them a date. No. Jesus presents them. Jesus gave them a time frame. A context of history, both for the world and for his church at the time of his second coming. He gave them a list of signs that will happen in the world. So when they see these signs, they will recognize that he is, Jesus is about to come. Jesus gave them signs in the world and signs in the church. So in Matthew 24, you, you, you find that Jesus presents the condition of the world before he comes. And in Matthew 25, Jesus presents the condition of the church before he comes. So, here we are, Matthew 25, beginning with verse 1. Jesus begins presenting the condition of the church with the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 11. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lands and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was 
shut. Afterwards, verse 11, Matthew 25, 11, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Wow. Sad ending of a story we all know. This is a parable. Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. There are all symbols of the reality to give us some principles and some warning about what's going to happen in the church. What's going to happen, what's going to be the condition of his people when he comes. The virgins represent his people, the church. The lambs represent the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, right? The oil is the Holy Spirit. The bridegroom is Jesus. Now, as Jesus relates this story, he wants to draw our attention of what will happen before he comes. And in the process, he is actually answering our first question this morning of, uh, that we raised. One of the three questions. Will our abiding in Jesus make any difference in us and for us when Jesus comes? So in the parable, we have ten virgins. Five are wise and five are foolish. In other words, there is a condition for God's people when he comes back the second time that some will be ready and some will not be ready. Some have taken seriously their preparation and invitation to be ready for their Savior. And some have ignored, neglected, or procrastinated their readiness to meet their Lord. And I'm not making this up. You see it. It's right here in the Gospels. Matthew 25, 1 to 11. Written in red letters, which means... We believe these are the words of Jesus. So Jesus is telling us that some will be ready and some will not be ready when he comes. What makes the difference? The oil does, right? Oil represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is what gives light. It is what guides us and what works through the lamp. You got to have the lamp and the oil in order to see clearly. You got to study the Bible and to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You got to have and I have to use and you have to, or you must have the extra oil, which is the infilling of the Spirit in order to make it to the wedding of the bridegroom. Oil is the Holy Spirit. The wise virgins had extra oil. They were not content with what they had in their lamps. 
They made sure they had extra oil with them. And since oil represents the Holy Spirit, my friends, we need the extra infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to make it to the wedding of our bridegroom, Jesus. If you don't have it, the bridegroom will say, I don't know you. Wow. That's serious business. But listen, yeah, there is hope. Now, what is the connection, the, the link between having the extra oil and the declaration of Jesus when he comes, I don't know you or I know you. Remember that when the Holy Spirit lives in us, in, in us, our minds are being transformed. And now we begin to live like the apostles said, not I by Christ, but Christ lives in me. When we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we gradually begin to do the works of Christ. We live like Christ. Through the infilling of the Spirit... Jesus lives in us and we live in Him. We have this intimate relationship with Jesus. It's not casual. It is deep, honest, sincere, real. And it proves to be vitally essential to our salvation. Yes, I know. And we all say we love Jesus. But do we have an intimate, deep connection relationship wise with Jesus when we have that relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit we know him not about him there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus when we really know him he knows us he lives in us and through us and when he comes he sees himself in us and declares I know you, Marius. I know you, Pam. I know you, Rick and Rita. I know you, whoever you are, who are filled with His Spirit. Because when you're filled with His Spirit, it's Christ living in you. And when He comes, He knows you. So does how this abiding in Jesus through the Holy Spirit gives us the assurance of salvation? Well, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in you and when he comes he will know you because he sees his reflection in you he sees himself in you wow that's the difference now how this second question how this abiding in jesus experience affects or impacts our sabbath keeping because we're seven day adventists after all right where do we get the concept of the Sabbath? Where do we get it from? Back to the beginning, right? Back to the very beginning. Back to the week of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, we're given the story of creation as God inspired Moses to write. See, at a time when Moses wrote the first book of the Pentateuch, he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. There were other creation stories out there. And it's my personal belief 
that God inspired Moses to write the true creation story so that, that his people will have the story recorded there where the facts are mingled with faith. Facts and faith are the two components of the creation story as recorded in the book of Genesis. In fact, in fact, all throughout the Bible, facts and faith are mingling. See, God created the world as we see it. It is a fact. God created the world as we know it in six days, and there is a specific order in which He created it. And that requires faith. Fact and facts are two interchangeable concepts found throughout the Bible. So God created the world, and at the end of the week of creation, the Bible tells us that He rested on the seventh day. God set a Sabbath day in the weekly schedule. There are parallels between God's work of creation and God's work of redemption. And those of you who are reading the Abiding in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. In the creation, we're told that God brought light to darkness, perfect form where there was chaos, life where there was no life and created mankind in his own image. That's in the creation. In the redemption of mankind, God does a similar work. Listen to this. He brings light to people living in darkness. He brings life to those who are dead in their sins. He recreates man in his own image and he will restore mankind to their paradise, Edenic perfection. At the end of his creation work, the Bible says, Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God introduced the Sabbath in the very beginning. He introduced it to mankind, not to Jews only. We all need a day of rest. The Bible tells us that He rested on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day of the week. So it is not, it is not by the way, the Seventh-day Adventists who introduced the world to the seventh-day Sabbath. We got it from God. God introduced this rest on the seventh day back at the end of the creation week. In Hebrews chapter 4, Paul, if we believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, Paul writes here in Hebrews 4 verse 9 to 11, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. God's word is very clear on this concept of rest. And in our spiritual life, our 
strive to do it in our own power, our struggle to be good Christians in our own strength, we find it, we found it in this series that is futile. It's not working. We can't do it on our own. We need to surrender. We must ask the infilling of the Spirit and then we must believe and accept that Christ lives in us. When we enter into God's rest, we cease our own efforts. We let Him do it. We are told here in Hebrews that it is important we seek to enter into this rest. And as I preached in our in previous sermons, the only way to victory over temptation and sin is to rest in the fact that Jesus abides in us and allow Him, allow Him to live His life in and through us. Our part, my friends, is just to believe, to rest in that belief that Jesus can live in us and through us, through the Holy Spirit. As Seventh-day Adventists, we highly regard the seven-day Sabbath. We say we believe that we are to rest on the Sabbath day, right? And as we've seen this parallel between creation and redemption, the Sabbath, the seven-day Sabbath, is a type of our rest in Him for our redemption. This is one thing that I, that I just discovered. The Sabbath rest is symbolic of resting completely in Jesus for our deliverance from temptation and sin. It is a memorial of God's redemptive work in us. Through prophet Ezekiel, God said, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they may know that I I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Did you get that? I've never seen that before. Here is the truth of this verse, if you have not seen it before. When we observe the Sabbath, we're accepting that it's not us, but it is Christ, Lord Jesus, who sanctifies us. That's what it means. Every week, when we rest on the seven-day Sabbath, we are celebrating God's work of redemption in our life. Pastor Dennis Smith wrote that if we have not entered the rest of redemption by accepting by faith what God had done for our salvation, we are not truly entering into the meaning of the Sabbath rest. And now I get it. We did it for the wrong motives, or we just do it to checkmark. To know, okay, I keep the Sabbath. No. In other words, if we don't let Christ live in us through the Holy Spirit, we will never be able to catch the full meaning and significance of the Sabbath rest. That's why Jesus is at the center. So abiding in Jesus, in Christ, and Sabbath rest are very closely related. Those who will be ready... To meet Jesus will have truly entered the Sabbath rest. They will not only be keeping the Sabbath day, or the Sabbath holy, I should say. They will be experiencing the true meaning of the rest of the Sabbath. 
Ellen White writes in her book, Maranatha, in page 170, at the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Spirit as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. What she's saying is that in the last days, those filled with the Spirit of God not only will understand and experience the meaning of the Sabbath rest, but they will proclaim it to the world in their way of telling the world that Jesus is coming soon. Now, do you think that Satan likes this? Hmm, no. That's why he developed a hatred for the Sabbath. See, Satan does not want us to be saved. He doesn't even want us to think that we have a chance to be saved. When we understand the true meaning of the seven-day Sabbath, we understand that it is a memorial of God's work of redemption in our lives. And here is why Satan hates the Sabbath so much. And he wants to get it away and do away with it. And he wants you to forget about it. Here is why. The rest of the Sabbath symbolizes... Well, let me go back. Every week, Satan is confronted with a day celebrating God's redeeming work. Because that's what Sabbath means. Every week, Satan is confronted with this day. It reminds him that his work will ultimately come to an end. The rest of the Sabbath, the rest that we get in the Sabbath symbolizes the end of Satan's power in the lives of God's people. That's what it means when we when you observe the Sabbath. So every time you truly observe the Sabbath rest, it's a direct offense to Satan's efforts to bring mankind under his power, under his kingdom of darkness. So my friend, when you observe the seven-day Sabbath, you allow God to bring spiritual light into spiritual darkness and make a new creation in you and in those around you. That's what it means. For the Sabbath, the abiding in Christ. So how abiding in Christ through the Holy Spirit prepares, prepares us for his, son, for his coming? We learn that, that he will know us. We learn how abiding in Christ helps us to find the true meaning of the Sabbath rest. The third question, I'll attempt to do that quickly. How will this abiding in Christ make any difference in the context of our church and community ministry. Pastor Dennis Smith writes, Once the believer rests in these truths, he is able then to faithfully serve and obey God in life and ministry. This rest is necessary for him to faithfully serve God. I'm not sure about you, but I, I experienced this in my life. And I have seen it in others who are involved in ministry, either pastoral ministry or ministry leaders in local churches. It seems to me that the work of ministry comes with the burden of weariness and stress, right? Am I right? Am I the only one? Probably I am. 
Does it have to be this way? No, it doesn't. I remember when I entered ministry many years ago, actually it's 21 years ago, I remember seeing a lot of frustration and stress in the life of the pastors I worked with. And at one point, it became so burdensome for me watching them being frustrated. I said, man, if that's what it takes to be a minister, sign me out. In the last decade of my life, I learned the principle of surrender. And though it helped to surrender my work and my life to to the Lord, it was not enough. I knew it was something I'm missing, but I did not know what it was until I discovered the wonderful truth of being filled with the Spirit of God and believing and accepting the truth that when I'm filled with His Spirit, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me and does ministry. When we are truly experiencing abiding in Christ and Him abiding in us, His presence is a reality. His presence is a reality in whatever ministry we're engaged in. doesn't have to be pastoral ministry. When we're truly abiding in Christ, there is something that happens. All fear. All anxiety, all worry, all stress in service and ministry will be gone. Here's how it works, my friends. As we abide in Jesus and He abides in us, everything we say and do is to be Christ manifesting Himself in and through us. This is why there is no need for fear, for anxiety, for worry, for stress. It is all of Jesus. We simply allow Him to do these ministries in and through us. It is through, through receiving the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus leaves and abides in us. And it is through the Spirit baptism that He ministers through us. That's why I keep saying that God has a plan for His people here in Louisville to transform the communities we live in. He didn't send us, He didn't place us here for nothing. But it's not through our own ideas or our own strength. It is only through His Spirit as Christ abides in us that we can make any quality change in our community. Jesus said in John 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. John 7, 38. And John clarified what Jesus meant in the next verse. John 7, 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him will receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Pastor Dennis Smith says, In Christ's service, we must keep constantly in union with Him so we will be under His direction when it comes to plans, methods, and ministry. 
If you believe in Him, abiding in you and you in Him, you will begin to see Christ manifested in your ministry as never before. This is true. In fact, I experienced this this week. You all know that I'm doing this chaplaincy internship with Norton, so that is part of my training for pastoral care and counseling. And one thing happened this week that never happened to me before. All throughout my ministry years, <laughs> compliments I received in my ministry life has centered around my music ministry. And I, I can only give God the glory for the gift of singing that he put in me. But this week, as I was visiting with a patient who needed emotional support, I shared with her and her daughter about the Holy Spirit and how it transforms our life when we let him. And after listening to her story and offering words of encouragement, I offered to pray. And I'm not sure how, but I could sense that it wasn't me praying. It was the Spirit praying through me. I was myself <laughs> amazed at my own prayer. And when I ended the prayer and opened my eyes, I saw two faces of people who were literally lit up as if they experienced some kind of wonderful music or something. The patient and her daughter went on to tell every nurse and medical staff that went into that room that day how that prayer made their day. I'm not, haven't been praised for prayers. It's not about Marius. It was the Spirit of God praying. That's why when you abide in Christ and Christ abides in you, your ministry will never be the same. Pastor Dennis Smith says, we must pray for his guidance, then rest in the fact that he will let us know what he wants us to do. And I want to end with this quote because it's powerful. He will direct our ministry if we let him. Then he will do his ministry through us. And in this quote, I wish I put it on the screen, I highlighted and underlined our ministry, his ministry. Do you think, do you think it will make a difference if our ministry would be Jesus' ministry? Do you think that Jesus has a ministry for this church in our community? Do you think that Jesus has a ministry for you? Because church is made up of people, you and me. Do you think Jesus has a ministry for you in this community? Now let me make this question a test of faith. Do you believe that Jesus has a ministry for you in the community where you live. If you believe that Jesus has a ministry for you and your community, you now know it is only as you abide in Christ and Christ abides in you that your ministry will be His ministry. If you would like to be used by God to transform the community where you live, would you stand where you, wherever you are? 
I want to pray for those that believe the Holy Spirit will fill you because you can't do His ministry on your own. I want to pray for His Spirit to fill you because you want Jesus to do His ministry through you and you want your community to see Jesus through you. If you want and desire with all your heart to let Jesus live in you and transform your community through you, you can stand or you can kneel wherever you are. You may be in this church, you may be in your living room, in your bedroom, in your hotel room, whatever that may be. If you want the Holy Spirit to fill you so that Jesus abides in you and use you in ministry in your community, please stand or kneel wherever you are. Let's pray. Lord, wow. What an inspiring message you have given us. What a difference. What a difference it makes in us as Christian Seventh-day Adventists. We never looked at this before. At least I did not. Lord, I know that now you have given us hope that it is not about us. It is all about you. It is all about what you have for this community. Lord, Louisville needs you. Lord, Jefferson County lives you, needs you. We are offering ourselves this morning to be filled with your spirit. But first, before we even do so, Lord, I want to give 15 seconds to each and every one of us to let go of ourselves before we get filled. And Lord, as we emptied ourselves, I don't want to be Marius, who does ministry. I want you, Lord, to fill me. I want you, Lord, I want you, Lord, to fill these people with your spirit today. So as they are filled, they accept that Christ lives in them. And Christ Jesus, our Lord, can do ministry through them. That's how we're going to go out. And make a difference in Louisville, in Jefferson County, Kentucky. Lord, thank you for this army of people that you placed in this church. In Jesus' name we pray.